0: Good morning. 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 All right, no making funny faces at me up here, Ricky. I said, stop making funny. Oh, that's his regular face. Um, (laughs) Just real quick prayer request um, for my little kid Carson. He uh, last night he had a tummy ache when we went to bed. Anything kids get tummy aches, but. uh, so this morning when he, uh, well last night during the night he hardly slept, he came to our bed crying and so forth, and he said his stomach was hurting him, and then this morning we got up and uh, he said he had real bad pain in his stomach, so, and then I felt his stomach and all along the right side, it's real painful when you touch. So Amy took him to urgent care this morning, uh, the doctor's not sure, he thinks it might be a, some weird virus that could be hitting him there, or it could be his appendix, but... Um, so, if you keep, in it, keep them in a, your prayers, I'd appreciate it. Um, I haven't heard what the blood tests come back yet, so if I do, I'll let you guys know. If you can turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at this morning. In particular, is something called the snare of the devil. This is not a very popular subject, and it's not a very... Uh, uh, enlightening or, or in the sense of makes you feel good, but hopefully it 'll put us on our toes, because we 're in a spiritual warfare we 're in a battle. The devil 's real. Satan is real a real person that wants to destroy your life if you 're a Christian, and if he can 't destroy your life, he wants to uh, make it so that you can 't serve him. To ruin your testimony, to tie you up. When it comes to scriptures, and you're looking at the, 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 the New Testament, we know when Israel was, when Moses led the people out of Egypt, the children of Israel, and then Joshua took them into the land. I want you to think of Christianity like this you're going into a land that the enemy possesses. And what the scriptures talk about is we are strangers in a foreign land. And this world in which we live in, this world belongs to the prince of the power of the air. This world belongs to Satan. All the attractions, all the desires, everything of it, Satan is in control of. What did he offer the Lord Jesus during the temptation? That if he would bow down, if the Lord Jesus would bow down to Satan, what would Satan give him? All the kingdom. Well, he can't give him all the kingdoms if he doesn't possess all the kingdoms. And he does. The Lord said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. What does that mean? We're on the offense, we're going forward, we're going into enemy territory. And this is important for us to understand that this warfare that we engage in is a spiritual warfare. In which the enemy every day wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to rob God of the due glory that's due to him. He wants to tear families apart. He wants to tear this assembly apart. He wants to tear all the churches apart if he had his way. Paul says that we're not ignorant of the devices of the devil, he's real. And he wants to get at us. You don't realize how it really is till he actually hits your house, till he actually hits loved ones. the pain, the suffering that goes along, that sin brings. He wants to destroy lives. He wants to tear families apart. And if there's one thing that that, that you can remember as you go away from today is that Satan wants to destroy your family, your life, everything about you. And there's no mercy with Satan. When we went through our speed bump in our household and the pain's so great and you're struggling, you say, you know what, I've had enough. And you wave the white flag. One thing I learned is Satan doesn't stop. He doesn't care. He will continue on until you are literally destroyed. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Lord is stronger. He will protect you. He will give you the grace. He will overcome. We are called overcomers in the scriptures. The power of the grace of God and his love is greater than anything, any sin, anything of this world. He can restore people's lives. Whatever you're struggling with this morning, and the reason why I bring this up is all of us have struggles. All of us have issues. All of us have areas in our life that we can improve on. All of us has hurt and pain and suffering. There's no superman in the Christian faith. There's just men that depend on God and live by faith and trust him day in and day out. But we have each other. And this is what we have. We have to build one another up. We have to love one another. We have to strengthen one another. And when you come together in the house of God, in the family of God like we have here, we come together. As people that come into a hospital, people that are sick, that are injured, that are crippled, that whatever it might be, and you come to restore that, that trust and faith you have in the Savior and to say, keep pressing on, keep going on, keep pressing towards the mark. You know, all of us can identify with Allison down there in Mexico. Man, what a sad, sad affair how sin has... Touched her life. I don't mean that she's committed a sin, but the effects of sin. And the family, what Trevor and Leo have gone through. And you sit there and your heart just breaks. Yet we all have issues. We all have areas where loved ones are not saved. Where struggles of life have overtaken people. Who we have is each other and we have to build one another up. Let's read begin reading in second Timothy chapter 2. Um, begin reading in verse uh, 15 or 14. Paul is talking to Timothy and he's given very practical advice here and he's going he's talking to Timothy and dealing with Christians and so forth. It says remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. To the ruin of hearers, I want you to notice one thing there. Striving about words to no profit, to the ruin of hearers. How many times have we destroyed one another with petty things? But the way we impact one another's lives is important because we can ruin one another's lives. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for what? For they will increase to more ungodliness. Just put this stuff in the back of your mind. It's what we'll deal with a little later. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past. And look at the second part here. And they overthrow the faith of some. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And that everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter... He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also, youthful, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Verse 24 through 26 is the main passage I want you to think of. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. It's a very sobering but scary thought, the snare of the devil. Now, one of the things I like to watch uh, on TV is I love nature shows, and particularly these guys that go out in the wild and survive. Any show on Alaska I'll pretty much watch, you know, grizzly bears, the whole nine yards. You get them out there living on the land. I like the outdoors. Put me in the outdoors and I love it. One of the the ways in which they survive or what they'll do is they'll set a snare or a trap. And basically what it is in in the simplest form is a lot of times it's just a little, they use a rope with a little noose. And once the animal goes inside of there, the foot gets caught and the noose tightens up on the animal's foot. And then they they catch them. But these guys in Alaska are, are pretty good at setting traps. And trying to get these animals. In Strong's, it describes this snare as a trap literally, a snare, and it's as fastened by a noose or a notch. And the snare is basically used to trap small animals alive, and then you use them for whatever the trapper wishes. Sometimes you catch it for bait, sometimes you might catch it for food. But whoever catches the animal, they have whatever right they want to do because they, caught it, they have it caught in the trap. Sometimes they'll get the animal by bait. The animal comes in, it sees the bait, it goes for it, and the next thing you know, it's trapped in this thing. Sometimes they, the, the, the trapper knows the path in which the animal takes because the, 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 the ground is worn out from where it travels and they'll pick a spot where there's brush and everything where it has to travel through this and it'll set this snare to catch the animal. It's interesting too, once the animal gets caught in the snare, what does it do? It starts to fight to get away and it pulls and it pulls and it pulls. And then, then what does it do? It just surrenders, it sits down and stays there. Some animals are known to be trapped, that they would actually chew their leg off to get free. Now, what do I tell you this? This is just uh, some practical applications of how to go out and live in the wild, but I'm not here to teach you how to live in the wild. I'm here to teach you that Satan uses the same tactics to get us. He knows our paths. He knows what we desire. He sets the bait to try to get you. And some of us in our Christian lives, we've been caught in this snare. And we begin to pull and we fight against the snare. And we pull and pull and try to get free. Then what do we end up doing? Just surrender. Give up. He has us. Brothers and sisters, we can never give up. If we have to chew our leg off to get free, then let's do it. But he wants to trap you. And look at what it says here at the end of verse 26. Having been taken captive by him to do his will. Not only will he take you, he catches you, but then he'll place you and use you in the church to destroy other Christians' lives. Now, there's other scriptures that are given. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. That Paul, again, uses for the snare. This is a show, this is of Christians and who Satan is trying to catch. A lot of times we think it's of unbelievers. But if you're an unbeliever this morning, you're already in Satan's care and captivity. He's the prince of the power of the air. The scripture says that if you're not a born-again believer and you have not received Jesus Christ as your savior, you're a follower of the devil. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you're going to become a children of God, you have to receive Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross for your sins. There is no other way. The Savior said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He has narrowed down the path in which to come to God. The Lord Jesus Christ has said this. Not me. Not this church. He is the way of salvation. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior this morning, I pray that you do so. I ask you to examine your heart. Because you're either a child of God or a child of the devil. And if you're a child of the devil, then you're going to follow the devil to his path, which is going to be eternal damnation in hell. But God wants to save you. And the whole reason why he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins is because... He takes sin serious, very serious. Enough to send his son to take on humanity and to die on the cross. And there the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And all of our sins were placed on his account. So that we can come and receive the free gift of salvation. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're talking about, and he's given qualifications of an elder, and look at verse uh, 6. And look at the seriousness is as you look at the qualification of the elders, what might happen to an elder that is not quite qualified and his life is not in order, what might end up happening to him. 6. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as a devil. 7. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Look at First Timothy chapter 6. And verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown out men in destruction and perdition, the snare is a real thing. Second Corinthians chapter two verse eleven says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices and what 's an example of look at first at Matthew chapter sixteen real quick and we 're going to look at an example of where Satan uses Peter to try to thwart the will of God. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, if Peter can be used by Satan, don't think that we're exempt. Don't think that we, can, we are exempt from this. Well, look at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that, we, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed And be raised the third day. Here the Lord Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to take place. That this is the will of God and this needs to take place. That because he needs to go and die for our sins. Look at verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you Lord, this shall not happen to you. This is interesting. He has a a response that many of us probably would have taken. I'll fight to the bitter end to protect you, Lord. No one's going to come and get you. It sounds godly. It sounds like a stance that he would want to take. Look at verse... The problem is, is Peter did not listen to what the Lord just told him. Look at verse 23, what the Lord tells him. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. Satan's at work. He's at work trying to use whoever he might to get in, to rob God of his glory. One of the the, the big wars, spiritual warfare that we're involved in, revolves about a, a, a little simple thing called your heart. What Satan wants to do is he wants to take your affection. He wants to take your will. He wants to take your desires. He wants to take everything. And if he can just get it off of God and get it onto yourself or get it onto uh, something other than God and win that heart from you, then he's won. If he could sideline you, if we could think of this as a sporting event in which he could sideline you and put you on the the, the bench, then he's won. Look at what it says back in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. There's one house here. And you can identify this with our assembly here. There's a house of God here, a great house. And we have different vessels and, and, and objects in the house, gold and silver. Wood and clay. But look at some are for honor and some for dishonor. Which vessel are you here this morning? Are you a vessel that's on the shelf that the master can't pick up and use? There's, There's too much sin in your life, there's too much pride, there's too much of something love of the world in your life, that the Lord just can't use you. The Lord uses holy things. He's not going to start with you and I with an unholy thing. He's always going to use holy things. Now, Of course, the Lord does work through uh, different situations that might be unholy, but in the sense of verse 19, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity... The Christian is to be holy. What vessel are you here this morning? We don't like to think about this, but there are vessels in the church that are for dishonor. It doesn't mean they're created for dishonor. It doesn't mean that they were shelled. But their life dishonors the Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony is one of hypocrisy. The world looks at this Christian and goes, He's no different than anyone else in the world. Why do I need Christ? No longer a viable testimony. No longer a, 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 is there a ministry that they can go forth. And when they do bring forth the ministry, they're disqualified. And if we were to go back, and we're kind of going back in this, look at verse 15, what the, 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 the worker is supposed to do, the, the child of God. Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God. We're to be studying. We're to be in the word of God. We're to be communicating with him and present ourselves and say, God, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm approved. I'm one you can use. I'm ready for you. You know, when uh, you watch a football game, a lot of times you'll see someone that follows a coach around. And I'm not necessarily talking about pro, but coach, I'm ready to come in. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I've, been, I've been working. I've been practicing. I'm ready to get in there. And then the coach gives him his opportunity. That's the way we should be for the Lord, ready to go. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So what happens if you're one of the vessels for dishonor? What does he say here in verse 21? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We're to repent. We're to turn from our sins. Change our mind towards the world. Get out of the snare of the devil. When it says here in uh, verse 25... Um, or in verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Literally what that's talking about is one of waking up from drunkenness. Ones that are not sober, but to wake up and return to their senses, for they've lost their senses. There's a few people that I've talked to that have been caught in the snare of the devil. And it's interesting, when you talk to them, you get hooked on it. It might be something, some temptation, something comes along and once Satan gets you, for whatever reason, because of the flesh, you keep going back. Yet you hate it. Yet you keep doing it. Yet you hate it. You want to escape from it. You want to go free, is what they say. But yet you keep doing it over and over and over again. And they describe that once they get caught in, this, in their sin, that it's almost like a burden's been lifted off. It's almost like great relief because they've been caught by Satan and the snare and are being used for him. He blinds the mind. He tricks you into thinking things that are not right. You know, we're to have the mind of Christ. Our minds are supposed to be Renewed. We're not to have the mind of this world. But the pollution of this world gets into our minds and our thinking and the way we view things gets uh, clouded. The next thing you know, we're thinking things that are wrong or good and we're all mixed up on on which way to go in our life. Yet we want to have one foot in the church and serve the Lord and live for him. We want all the blessings of the family of God. We want to be here. Yet we look at the world, we look at the entertainment, we look at everything that it has, the fame, the popularity, and we want that also. And we end up a person that is no good for the world. They don't want you because there's, 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 you have too much Christ in you. They don't want Christ. At the church, you know, good for the church because you got too much of the world in you. So what do you end up doing? You end up in this state of unhappiness. Of discontentment, of disapproval from the Lord. And we see in the last days, the church of Laodicea becomes this church that's lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. They're neither on fire for God, nor are they so cold that they can go and deal with them and restore them through repentance. We think we're okay. That's what Satan wants. If he can just get you and I to sit on the sidelines, then he'll have us. Just calm it down a little bit, man. Don't, don't be so uh, uh, excited about this man, Jesus. You know, he's just a man. He's just an example, you know. I mean, these, these aren't really scriptures for us to follow by. They're just kind of guidelines for us. That's what Satan wants to get you. And we, if we had time, we would track it all the way through the, the entire scripture, starting with Adam and Eve. All the way through, you can see how Satan works. He's accuser of the brother, and he's going before the Lord, day and night trying to accuse you, trying to get His grips on you. He did it with Job. Ah, look at Job, man, he, you know what? You take away that hedge, that, that protection you have, and yes, the Lord protects us. You take that away, and what's going to end up happening to him? Okay? Touch him. You know, Christianity is one that we go through rough seas. We go through difficult times. We have a very unique opportunity right now. It's very unique in the sense that we are glorifying God something and doing something right now that you are not going to be able to do throughout all of eternity. That is to suffer for him, to be persecuted for him. Joe Reese told a story of uh, he got done speaking, and it was on Sunday, and he was in a hotel room with his son, and his son was sick with a fever and uh and just about the time the maid uh came in to clean the room and he was talking to her and and she made the comment you know well you know i as soon as i get down work i'd like to go to church today and joe reese says okay you know what church are you gonna go to and she they began to engage to make the the, the uh long story short she ended up getting saved joe ended up leading her to the lord And his sick boy, sitting there with a a high fever, as Joe's holding him, looks up at his daddy and says, Dad, now I know I was sick till today. Hmm. A little boy got it. Because of his sickness, it placed him in the right time where she came in and everything worked out for his will, but he had to suffer for her to get saved. And the thing with Allison down there, Kamstra, oh, what a tragic thing. And we've prayed for healing. The Lord, he, he's heard us. But it's in his sovereign will and decision that he's allowed her to continue on for whatever reason. I can't tell you, but he knows. The glory that he is receiving from that one little girl, you've watched North America rise up on their feet in prayer. She has touched more lives than I think any preacher that's gone around the lately preaching. What a testimony. How many of us have been dead in our prayer lives and we hear this thing and we, we've become alive to God praying for this little girl? How many of us have been so uh, enclosed in our own lives that we don't see the lives of other people. All we see is ourself and where I go and this and that and what affects me. That all of a sudden, our eyes get opened up that there's other people suffering out there. There's a story Joe gave also, I was listening to him, of the stormy seas. And, and when he was sleeping, the disciples were on the boat and the, the waves were crashing in and they went and woke up the Lord and, and, and Lord, we don't want to perish out here. And they're all concerned about themselves. And the Lord said, obviously, he controls the, the wind and the sea. Peace be still. But Joe pointed out was, and I believe it was in Mark, it says there were other vessels out there. No one else records that, just Mark. And if you read too fast, you miss that. They weren't concerned about other vessels. They, they were only concerned about their vessel. And this is what happens in Christianity as we begin to get only concerned with ourselves. And we get tunnel vision, and all I think about is what affects me in my life. Yet my my brothers and sisters are struggling and are are hurting all around me. Yet I just continue on with myself. One of the biggest things that I got woken up to is I'm guilty of this. That I think of how many other families out there are struggling with what we went through. How many other marriages out there are on the brink of destruction? Are we really in tune to one another? You know, in the old days, I don't want to say the old days, I, you know, some of years. this is... <laughs> I got to be careful here, you know? <laughs> um, years ago... Um, the assemblies used to be, you know, it, almost to one extreme, they were so nosy in everybody's life that they became offensive. And um, my father-in-law tells a story about one time, I mean, the, the, the elders of the assembly would come and, and knock on their door and they would come in and, you know, we believe there's sin in the camp. Do you have any sin in your life? Well, no, and I wouldn't tell you if I did. Get out of my house. It wasn't a godly sincerity. It it was uh, uh, almost like, you know, someone doesn't care. But the Lord cares about people. And it's about lives. And it's about people's lives. But um, turn with me over to uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. I want to share with this verse, the Lord's laid upon my heart, that I don't think we do very much. I think because of the Catholic Church and confessing your sins to a father or a priest or this or that, we, 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 don't, we don't take this very serious. And a lot of times what we end up doing it in, in um, particularly the assemblies uh, and the brethren movement is when you get, and our brother Mike Atwood talked about it with the charismatic movement, is we shy away from the, the ministry and the work of the Spirit of God because we're so scared to be associated with these people over here. And now I think we, we've gotten so... Afraid in the past because men have been so offensive in trying to get involved in your life that people all of a sudden hey man you know you look at California it's kind of interesting you go to the Midwest and it tripped me up because when I first went there to Emmaus nobody had walls around the yard like wait a minute how do you know where the property line is for where you know and the dogs run free from yard to yard and if you actually went to the Midwest and you put up a wall I think they're getting more and more now, but you put up a wall, you, number one, look like a, you're trying to isolate yourself from everyone else, but you'd be offensive. They just, the kids run in the backyard, they run from yard to yard and play and everything else. Now, you come to California, what do we do? We like to isolate ourselves. We have walls around our property, we even do it in the front yard with a gate, and we put a big sign, no trespassing, no solicitors, stay away from my door, and if you're really serious, you put a, a big dog in, in the front yard. And keep you out because, and and it's interesting, when you go to the Midwest, and I remember uh, standing in the grocery store. And the person in line, you know, you're going to check out, and they begin to talk to you. (coughs) Why are you talking to me? (laughs) I don't know you. But that's the effect we have in our culture in which we live. We, we, We like to isolate ourselves. And part of the reason why is that we don't want to let anybody know we have issues in our life. We don't let anybody know that I'm struggling with this issue. And I want to put on the front that I am godly and that I I do A, B, and C and I have no struggles and I I don't struggle with this or that and everything's hunky-dory. That's what we do. We think our life's perfect and we portray it to one another so then when someone actually falls into something or is struggling with something, they're afraid to tell us. They're afraid to come to you and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this issue of pornography, I'm struggling with this issue of, of, of uh, riches and, and, or, or this or that because what are we going to do? I look down on them. We go, oh, man, you know. Look at what this says. This is an interesting verse. James chapter 5 and verse 16. This is practical Christianity right here. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What is this verse talking about? As I begin to meditate? Yeah, it's talking about if a brother offends you, go and confess that he's offended you and then he confesses his sins before you and you restore such a thing. But there's a lot more to this. This has no idea, nothing to do necessarily with forgiveness, that I'm going to forgive your sins. But this has to do, I believe, is it has to do with dealing with sin issues in your life and working through it. See, we need each other. If God intended for us to be isolationists, if he intended us to be spiritual warriors and go out there and we were supermen, He wouldn't give gifts to the church. He wouldn't empower us with the Holy Spirit and give us spiritual gifts in which to minister to one another. We need one another to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. We need each other to encourage, to watch out for one another. We need to have one another examine our life and say, Hey, brother, you're getting a little far off here. What are you struggling with? And bring us back online. I need it. I might be the only one, but we need to examine one another and to look, and not in a sense of judging one another, but in a sense of genuine concern and love for one another that I say, you know what? You keep going down that path, you're going to end up in a path of destruction. How many times has the Lord laid someone upon your heart to go talk to, and yet we just, oh, I don't want to interfere. Just ignore it. And then down the road, you end up hearing, you know, oh, well, you just knew there was something wasn't right. Next thing you know, you hear him strung out on drugs or alcohol or something else. How many people, you can sit there. I mean, the Spirit of God says, look, this person, if he keeps going to this path, I mean, you know where it's going to lead. Yet we say nothing. There's two types of people here. There's people that are Struggling with the sin, and it may not be sin; it might be a burden that's that's been placed upon him. But it, it's not always something of a sinful nature that's terrible. It, it's heavy lanes and weights that that have been laid upon him. But let me encourage you: if you are struggling this morning with something, pick someone out in this assembly or someone you know and talk to them. Be honest, because look at what the scriptures say. If if these if this Verse really means what it says, that if you confess your trespasses to one another, then what ends up happening? You tell them, brother, sister, I'm struggling with this. It's got me captive. You go back and you pray for one another. You intercede before the great God that can make a difference. And look what happens. You pray for one another that they may be healed. And the Bible says, and this is a promise, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You go and pray for one another, and you pray, and you, and you talk to one another. You share the word of God. You, you, you interact with one another. You show one another that you care, and you lift them up. A lot of times you just send a text message out, hey, I'm praying for you today. I forget this, Sometimes I, you, you do that, and someone goes, wow, thank you. That's encouraging. Effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. If you are caught in a snare, this is what you need to do. You need to come to God to confess it. Look to brothers and sisters to help you get through it. Look at verse 6. This is for those that are seeing somebody that's falling down in some kind of trespass or something else. This is what scripture asks us to do. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It says it back in 2 Timothy 2 as well. The is is servant of the Lord, when you deal with people, gentleness is the key element. Our Lord Jesus Christ was as gentle as a dove. But gentleness. But watch out. Because when you start to engage in someone else's life, Watch out for yourself that you don't be tempted and fall into the same thing that they're in. Now let me tell you, I, I gotta clarify this it doesn't mean that when you go to confess your sins, you're gonna open up the backdoor closet and just unload every little thing that's ever gone on in your life. It's not about that. It's about issues you're struggling with. Whether it be your kids. Are your kids going on for the Lord? Are they not? That's, that's a burden on a parent. That's a tremendous There's unsaved ones that are in your family. That you know of. Or, or, or you, you, you get to the age, and then we've been pretty lucky here. I mean, most of the, we have all these marriages, and it's Christians marrying Christians. It's not always the case. I can name some names of families that their children have turned to homosexuality. You talk about a burden, you talk about carrying a weight. What do you do? All of a sudden, your son or your daughter comes home from college and says, you know what, I've decided that uh, I like someone of the same sex. Our society is accepting this. They are portraying this as the accepted way. And Satan is ensnaring people and young people and everyone else to believe this stuff. What are you going to tell them? How are you going to face these issues? We need one another. We need one another to pray for each other, to deal with, to have wisdom. These are tough issues. This world right now, we've been very blessed and lucky, the United States, because we live in a predominantly Christian um, nation in the sense of of the morals and ethics and everything else. But this last election, I think, showed that the nation is going downhill. Let me tell you something. Paul's day was no different. We're no different than any other day and age of, of sexual immorality, of divorce. I mean, the divorce rate's out of control right now. Families. You know, part of my job as a police officer is you go in and you see these broken families. You see the effects of alcohol. You see the effects of drugs. You see the effects of, of, of money and, and, and everything else. And I'm not saying money's bad, but the effects of driving after money to where people will sell their soul. How many people have gotten out of prison and said, I found Jesus, and then they turn around a couple months later and they're arrested again for dope or something else. And then they turn, the officers have the biggest joke because they think Christianity's a joke. Christianity's not a joke. It's the real deal. It changes lives. But it's people's lies that destroy the testimony of our Lord. And that's why the scriptures are very clear. If you're going to name the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. Walk after the Lord. We represent our God in heaven. We're a child of God. And as a child, we represent the Father and who God is. We have this unique privilege of being an ambassador on this world. But many of us are vessels of dishonor that the Lord cannot use us. And there's times in my life where something gets strung up and all of a sudden the Lord has to put me on the shelf and say, I've got to deal with this issue before I can put you back out in the ministry. Okay, Lord. And we've got to deal with it and we've got to go on. Just in closing, um, I want to share. There's a few of the snares that are out there that maybe you've got caught up, and we don't have much time to talk about it, but in the actual context of 2 Timothy chapter 2, one of the snares that Hymenaeus and Philetus got caught up in was a snare of doctrine, and there's how important doctrine is in our life. You're off the slightest bit, and all they were teaching is that the resurrection had already passed. And it overthrew the faith of some. Doctrine's important. All through the Scripture, You're off a little bit. You think of how many people's lives have been uh, our hearers have been ruined by just the simple fact of saying you can lose your salvation in and out of grace how many false teachings water bapti- re- baptismal regeneration that you get baptized to be saved all these false doctrines people are still trying to attain God's favor when you, you get God's favor but through the, the Lord Jesus Christ and we can go on and on with false doctrines that have risen up and how they, how, they, how they have destroyed people's lives so you got to be careful with your doctrine. Be careful what you pick up and read. Be careful what you hear on the radio. I had a good friend of mine in college that, that just got off a little bit. Went off the deep end. I had another good buddy. Started picking up some uh, stuff from R.C. Sproul and Reformed Theology and different stuff. And, and next thing you know, he's he's out in left field. And... You talk to them, you try to, hey, man, look at the scriptures. And all of a sudden, they think the intellect is greater than what the scriptures say. Their pride steps in, and next thing you know, they're rejecting the scriptures. This is real. Another snare people get caught up in is their pride and riches and fame and popularity. Some of us might get get caught up in the uh, snare of complacency. Just complacent. Satan just has you sitting there doing nothing. He's happy for that. You're doing nothing. Possession. Some of us strive for possessions. Satan dangles that possession before you. If I can just obtain that one thing, then I'll be happy. There's not one thing I bought in that, that, that keeps me happy my entire life. It all wears out. It breaks. Then you throw it away and you get the next thing. There's even non items, such as working on the house, the busyness of life, of all the affairs, of stuff that goes on, that Satan uses to keep you from laboring on the house of God. And God's not opposed to these things, but we come and we serve the Lord first. There's sexual immorality, alcohol, TV, pleasures of this world. And just some are so absorbed with themselves that that's all they care about. And we can go on and on with the list. And the thing is, is that think about the Christian faith is that when you go through a buffet line, there's certain things that appeal to me that may not appeal to you. For instance, I'm a meat eater. I'm not going to go to the veggie section. I'm sorry. My wife likes the sides and stuff like that. I think that's a waste of money. You go to the the, the buffets, you go straight for the primary. Fill it up. Don't get this other stuff that you're going to fill your stomach up with. Get the the meat. But the thing is, in the Christian faith, is your struggles may not be the same as my struggles, but they're still struggles. And each one of us has our own struggles. If Satan's trying to snare you, and tempt you with, and to, and to get you off guard. And we're not to be ignorant, but to be knowledgeable of how Satan is trying to destroy us. Let's pray for one another, and uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, and Father, we just thank you so much. First of all, Lord, we know that you are greater than the evil one. We know you can keep us. You know you can protect us. And that's who we look to. We don't look to our own flesh. We don't look to ourselves to stand against Satan. But we look to you. Who has indwelt us with your spirit. Who has given us a new nature. And who has enabled us with every spiritual blessing. To live a godly life. In this sin cursed world. Father help us. Keep us. Protect us. Watch over us. Protect our loved ones. Let us pray for one another. Let us lift up one another in prayer, Father. Let us go on and live for you, that each one of us here will confess our sins and will be that vessel that's useful for the master's use, that's ready to go. Father, if there's any here that are vessels for dishonor. Speak to them. Bring them back to a state that they can be useful for you, O Lord. You are the great healer, the great physician. You're in the business of changing lives, Father. to start with each one of our lives here this morning. Change us to the image of the glory of God. Just thank you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.